You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not long to go now until our fate is decided in the Premier League as we take on Bournemouth on Sunday at Goodison. Aside from all that, uh, the recent news we've seen lately has been potential investment at Everton by a couple of interested parties. Joining me now to talk once again financially about the club is the senior correspondent from Off The Pitch, James Corbett. First of all, James, things have moved on since we spoke last about the financial issues at Everton with the um, issues that could come about financially and potential problems with the Premier League and things like that. Um, now we're, we're looking at what's certainly been discussed and uh, much further down the line than rumours that there are a couple of companies looking to invest um, and uh, what extent we'll go to in a second. And the, the latest one, come on in the past in the past week was a company called MSP uh, who have entered uh, a period of exclusivity with Mashiri. First of all, for those of us without uh, financial uh, knowledge like yourself, what what does that mean? And essentially, what would they have been doing since they've been given that process? Okay, well, the period of exclusivity sort of means that the club will open their books up to MSP. They'll do a period of due diligence. They'll get their accountants and their consultants in, and then they'll they'll close the close the deal. Hopefully, um, if 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 that's what they want to do, uh, they will have agreed ahead of terms, which will outline what the deal will look like. There's been quite a lot of speculation on the nature of the deal. Um, one suggestion is that they will they will effectively loan the club money to complete the stadium project which will then be converted into shares and there will be uh, further transfers of cash over subsequent years which leads to them getting a, a full a full uh, majority stake in the club and presumably a, an exit for Mr Mishiri. Um but I must emphasize that's only speculation nobody at the club has spoken about it and they're not really empowered to do so um, MSP hasn't done any media 
and uh, Mr. Mashiri's representatives um, have sort of given given outlines to 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 various members of the media, um, but that's about it. I mean, it's, it, what you've what you've read in the Athletic or the Guardian or whatever is is pretty much all that's all that's in the public sphere at the moment. Mm. Now, with them as a company, what what knowledge do you have? What knowledge have we been given about them? Um, a, a group from New York is basically as much as, as I've read. Um, they've had real success with various sports entities as well. Um, naturally, when it, we ever get linked with new ownership, especially given what's happened since Mashiri came in in 2016, has been really positive. Um, the thing I keep saying to people and having arguments about is that, that there's every reason to be cautious about any takeover, regardless of who uh, the, 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 the people are that want to come in and, and invest. Um, is, is it fair to take that level of cautiousness, particularly with this sort of company? I think you've always got to be careful what you wish for, um, yeah. especially since they don't have an especially established track record in um, football. What they do have, though, is significant experience in US-style um, sports marketing. Um, you know, the, the co-founder is uh, or was a very significant um, agent of American sports in the 1990s. Um Fictional film character Jerry Maguire is meant to be based around him, right. and he's and he's and he's and he's since gone into um, into the in, into the investment side of things. Uh, I mean, they have a stake in McLaren Formula One, and McLaren, um, well, less so McLaren, but Formula One is 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 one of the big sports business success series, um, stories over the last five or six years um, in terms of expanding its reach and tapping into new demographics. And so, so you'd like to think that they might bring or utilize some of that experience. Um, and, you know, McLaren Formula One is, is, is a blue chip brand. Um, and to be, and to be part of that investment stable, um, I suppose, I suppose on one level is, is, is quite exciting. On another level, you know, these are people without, connections mm. to football to our great city to our great football club um so i think i think there's got to be a degree of caution um but you know if they buy into buy into everything not just financially but also emotionally then you know let's hope for the best because yeah you know let's be honest we have, we have an owner who, who's, who's certainly put his money in but doesn't doesn't have that connection with <laughs> yeah, either yeah. with either the club, the bands, or the city. Um, despite despite his best intentions, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's it's fair to say that as much as people would hate to say it and admit it. Um, the the other the other group uh, have been have been interested as well. Have, have have discussed, but obviously, I don't think they're as far along the lines of MSP, and that's. Miami-based seven seven seven. Um, what what can you tell us about that? Yeah, I know quite a bit more about them, and I've spoken to them quite regularly over the last two and a half years. They've they've bought they've bought a chain of um, football clubs. Um, I mean, it's known in the industry as multi-club ownership or MCOs. So they had a well, they well, they retain a small shareholding in Sevilla, and over the last two and a half years or so they've bought Genoa in Italy 
who've just been promoted to Serie A, albeit they were all, they were previously relegated under 777's ownership. Um, they bought Hertha Berlin, they bought Paris FC, they bought Vasco da Gama in Brazil. Um, and, I mean, how would you describe them? I mean, they're an investment fund, um, and I suppose they... There's no transparency on who's putting money into the investment fund, but it is it is a series of high net worth individuals, and they might be putting five million dollars in, or ten million dollars in, or hundred million dollars in. We don't know, but they've empowered this fund to go around the world and build up this network of clubs. Um, they recently appointed a guy called Don Dransfeld as their head of football operations, and I mean. I, I'd be surprised if any of your listeners had heard of him, but Don was responsible for essentially putting together what is now City Football Group, so the group of 13 or 14 clubs that are associated with Manchester City and acquiring those clubs. And, I mean, the idea underlying MCOs is that, um, you know, you can, you can share each certain cost benefits, um, you know, you can centralise parts of the administration of the scouting network and you can trade you can trade players between clubs and so on and it's certainly the way that the game is, is heading. Um, I mean, it, it poses a few governance issues that kind of need to be addressed by FIFA and UEFA but, you know, the fact of the matter is that there's been huge activity in um, the football M&A market, so to speak, since the pandemic. Um, there's a lot of cash in private equity at the moment. And American um, investment companies in particular see a lot of value in um, English football, particularly Premier League football. Um, on the other hand, I mean, I spoke to uh, Andres Blasquez, who's 777's MD. I interviewed him about 15 months ago. And he said that they were sort of considering England, but they said that it was very, very expensive. And, you know, at, at the time, their focus was, was, I think he said it was on Eastern Europe, Central Europe. Um, so it, it's kind of surprising that they're looking, they're looking at, at investment that, you know, could be seven or eight hundred million pounds by the time, uh, by the time everything's taken into account. But anyway, they don't have the exclusivity that MSP do. So we'll wait and see. And I rather suspect more will come out quite quickly, um, depending on Sunday's results against Bournemouth and um, which division Everton are playing in next season. I suppose in, in layman terms, most certainly of our listeners would be like, well, you know, I, I, in how, how quickly can all this happen? Because I know when we arranged to have a chat about this um, with the, in regard to MSP, um, you, you were saying about this week that you could see activity happening this week. Um, with with 777, which from what you said seems very different to the MSP style of investment, would, and most fans would look at it and say, well, we need these people to come in and own the club in order to get rid of what we've got currently. With what you've mentioned there about 777, am, am I right in thinking that these will be relatively smaller investments with with not the view of actually taking over the club? Um, no, they've, 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 they've taken over complete shareholdings um, or majority shareholdings. I think the shareholding in right. uh, Berlin was 63%. 
Uh, I think they own Genoa outright, um, they own Vasco outright, and Paris FC outright. I think it's only really severe where it's a, where it's a smaller shareholding. I mean, in terms of the time it takes to complete these deals, I would expect a lot of a lot of the groundwork and the research and the funding has already been done if there's an exclusivity deal in place. And if we remember when Mashiri came in, I mean, that took everybody completely by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there were there was speculation in the media running up to it that there was a there was a guy called was it John J. Moores, uh, an yeah. American investor who was then linked with Swansea, who was who was favourite to take over. And then Mashiri just came in and caught everybody blindsided. I mean, I'll always vividly remember it because I was in Zurich with all the other sort of sports news journalists um, covering a FIFA presidential election. And this news came out at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Nobody, nobody um, saw it coming. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they could, they could close this deal. And I would suspect... I would suspect that there's an imperative for them to do so because that 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 stadium project is is going to be swallowing up lots and lots of money over the next twelve months, and they need to uh, they need to complete their funding to to do so. What is the the general question I've received most often from from people who have uh, said that we're having a chat again? Was what what is the appeal of Everton, um, both both generally and in particular from two groups? Like that. I mean, what you what you said there about Mashiri um, and the being the, the guy associated with Swansea. When you see that sort of thing rise, and there's an initial company who are interested in this, is that the sort of thing that raises everybody's um, eyebrows around them and thinks, well, you know, we need to have a piece of that. We should be looking at that as well because and, and follow suit from a group that has initially looked at it. Well, I mean, Premier League football clubs in particular are especially attractive to investors. If you if you want to invest in an MLS club in the States, you're effectively looking at the um, the same sort of price. You know, if you if you go outside the, the top six or seven teams in England, you know, if you if you invest in a club in Carolina or whatever, you're you're, you're literally looking at um, five hundred billion dollars minimum uh, investment. Uh, because you have to pay for the uh, the club license, you have to, to pay for the acquisition of the club. Um, if it's a startup club in the states, you can probably double that because you have to have your own stadium as well, built to a certain standard. So if you're going to pick up um, a team in the richest league in the world and the most successful global football league in the world and the oldest football league in the world for the same price, then it's immediately attractive. And then you throw in the fact that Everton are nine times league champions. They've got an amazing history. Um, they've got an incredibly loyal fan base. They're going to have arguably the best stadium in the country within the next fifteen months. Um, then it becomes it becomes it becomes very very um, even more attractive. Um, you know, you have all these doomsayers on social media and fan forums saying, you know, who'd ever invest in Everton? Well. I suppose it might have been the case 20 years ago, or even 10 years ago. We all remember Bill Kenwright's sort of 12-year-long search for a new buyer, which, which culminated in the series. But I think things are radically different now. And there is 
there is a significant global appetite for these for these sort of acquisitions. And when you see Bournemouth, for instance, being taken over by by American owners, you look at that. You think, actually, what is the upside there? Because it's got a tiny stadium, doesn't have the prestige, doesn't have the fan base, doesn't have the track record in the Premier League. So if Bournemouth can go to to Bill Foley, you know, a billionaire who's also very successful in American sports, why wouldn't you consider Everton if you're if you're in yeah. that um, sort of sort of uh, sector? Does that the the financial issues we've spoken about um, in regards to FFP, all of that kind of thing, the amount of money we're allowed to spend on players, and that sort of more football esque discussions that you know every common fan would discuss and that's known. Um, I, I take it they don't see that as any sort of issue. Should they come in and, and I suppose secondary to that question, would, for instance, the summer transfer window, say if this was to happen straight away in the next couple of weeks and we go into a transfer window, would that change what ability Everton have to 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 progress in that sort of thing? Uh, no, it wouldn't. Um I mean, they obviously have to have the funds in place to underwrite transfer business, and it's been done at a lot. But the FFP calculations are there and there to stay, and I don't really see too much changing until we're in the new stadium. I mean, obviously, there's been some transfer business, and they're going to have to trade players, and you know, maybe you'll see some uh, wheeler dealing at the edges. You know, you sell Anana on the 30th of June, and you know, suddenly it frees up 50 million quid to spend on the 1st of July, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could have you could have Mohammed bin Salman by an Everton, and realistically, you know, with 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 all his wealth and resources, he wouldn't be able to move the dial because those rules were in place, and uh, we're stuck by them. I suppose, I suppose in in, in real terms it's it, it's a risk consideration isn't it because you know we do have a very poor squad at the moment and a very uneven squad and it needs investment so assuming we do stay up and hopefully we do stay up you know the question mark remains well you know is that is that squad going to be enough to keep us up next season without without that investment and i'm sure they will they will look at what can be spent and what needs to be spent and factor that into um into any offer well, the, the income of transfer money obviously allows us to spend. Um, and I guess the other part of that as well is the commercial side. Um, what you mentioned about MSP and the American style in which they have as a group, I suppose that would that would be appealing to a lot of Everton fans thinking, well, they can come in, they can sort out our commercial deals, which, you've, which most people look at as notoriously poor in, in the years gone by. Um, would would that be something akin to them that would appeal to a lot of people? Yeah, definitely. And if you look at um, if you look at the financials of Leeds United, for instance, I mean their owner uh, Andrea Rezzani is has, has, has a background in in, in broadcast and, and digital, and that that's one of the big growth areas. But you know they've also partnered with the owners of San Francisco 49ers and. They've helped greatly. Leeds have got, you know, in relation to their turnover, very, very impressive uh, commercial income. 
at the moment. So you'd like to think that MSP, if they came in, could lend that expertise. But, you know, you, you, I think you referred to the commercial performance as being very, very poor. I mean, that's an assumption that a lot of people make. But, you know, you can only, you can only um, deal with the tools that have been handed to you. And yeah. In Everton's case, you know, it was 28 years last Sunday since the last one COVID. You know, Goodison is not set up for large-scale corporate activity. You know, they're not in Europe. They've not been in Europe for years. So, you know, you can compare Everton to Liverpool or Man United or Man City all you like, but the fact of the matter is we're not in the Champions League. We don't win trophies. We don't have a nation-state back in us, so we can't get those 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 soft deals that like City and increasingly Newcastle are going to get. Um and we're left, I suppose, in the, in the second or third tier of um, commercial offers. And that, that's going to be dubious crypto companies, dubious bookmakers, um, you know, local businessmen made good. For instance, you know, Christopher Ward, the, the jeweler that they're tied up with, he's a big Everton fan, or, or the owner of that company is a big Everton fan. And a few other bits and pieces. Um I think, I think the dial will move when they move into probably more dark and when they start achieving on the field again. Um, the board side of things, now, again, going back to what we spoke about a little bit earlier on in, in terms of um, people desperate for people, absolutely desperate, will find this out on Sunday um, after the game and uh, regardless of what situation we're going to be in following that game against Bournemouth, the, the boardroom side of things, um, can you give us sort of a, a feeling towards what would happen? Um, I, I guess as soon as that investment from MSP came in, would would they look to make changes there? Would they obviously look to, uh, I presume they'd want to add somebody to the board of, of their group as well? Well, I think, <laughs> I think if I was going to invest hundreds of millions of pounds into Everson, the first thing I want to do is get rid of the chairman who's overseen the most unsuccessful period in Everton's entire history and the longest stroke of this street. I mean, that is, without, without getting to the personality side of things, it's yeah. supposed to be inexplicable that Bill Kenwright's still chairman with 1%, 1.4% shareholding in the club. I, I don't understand that. Um, Nice enough fellow that he is. He's, he's a 77-year-old theatre impresario. Yeah. Why is a professional not in that role as executive chairman? So I, I would imagine um, that people are putting this money up will want that to change very quickly. They'll want their own people there. They'll want expertise there. And um, they will, they will, they will take over certainly the strategic running of the club, which is which has been lacking. Um, but you know, at the same time, and we talked about this when we last spoke about six, six, seven weeks ago. Um, I, think, I think it's people that have been unfairly castigated who were who were good operators, um, and I put the chief executive among them. Yeah, I mean, operation, operation, yeah, but no, you know, the day to day running the club and. So on, and they're, they're okay. Yeah. Um, but the fact that she's she's you know Denise Denise Barrett Baxendale, um, who I've got an awful lot of time and respect for, the fact that she's on the board 
sort of supervising her own role has, has, has made her a target. Yeah, and and then like you said before, it's sort of guilty by association, isn't it? Like many people who don't who don't look too deeply into this. And um, I just want to go back to the investment, which am I right in saying this would be an an initial, for want of a better term, fee, an initial amount that they put into the football club, which will get them a certain percentage of it. Um, would that entitle them to a position on the board? Would that mean that Mashiri still ultimately decides if an investor can have a position on the board? How would that work? Yeah, you you, you would expect that they would insist on representation, the level of oversight, certain covenants and things to be put in place. I think mean, you would you would take that for granted, but then you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, you look. You know, Mr. Mashiri's been there for more than seven years, and he doesn't actually have his own representative on the board, which is totally extraordinary. Yeah, and um, I, I know I mentioned again, period of time, I'm sorry to, to resurface that again, but a certain percentage that they put in initially, does that, that process, I would imagine, doesn't get kicked down the road as often as you would think? Again, I'm referring to what many Blues have asked would there be a position where they can really, really get involved with the club after they've sort of got initially in there? Yeah. Um, I mean, as I say, I, I, I think they will they will ask for certain things in return and they'll want to protect their investment, which will almost certainly involve bringing their own people in. And, you know, you'd expect that to happen sooner rather than later but yeah. equally you'd also expect certain things to be off limits so for instance you know the, the, the new stadium director Colin Chong who doesn't doesn't actually sit on the board but you know they're not going to bring in their own stadium guy from America um, you know it, it's not going to be a complete clean sweep but you know you'd expect there to be some changes if not if not pretty big changes and then and then finally when well, obviously, we'll find out on on Sunday night what's going to happen. Um, would that change? Obviously, would change things, but to what extent would it change things if Everton are no longer a Premier League side? It's the doomsday scenario. Yes, yeah. I think they'd be all right for the first year. The problems arise because because you get half your Premier League broadcast money anyway in terms you know in terms of parachute payment. So. They would, they would then presumably have to sell some of the crown jewels or some of the remaining crown jewels, Pickford, uh, Anana, maybe Calvert Lewin, um, to make up that shortfall. Um, and I think they'd be all right so long as they they came straight back up and, 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 and rebuilt. The how would the how would the when, investments associated to that though? Do you think still think it would go through? Would would it happen? Would it be a lower cost for them to come in? Would Mashiri want an instant change because he'd be obviously losing losing finance that he put into the club over the years? I don't. I mean, it's all speculation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I I, I would think if I was uh, an investor, or a predatory investor. You'd sort of be waiting on the the sidelines, hoping for the worst to happen <laughs> on Sunday, and to pick Everton up um, for a hundred million quid less, uh, or hundred and fifty million quid less, or whatever it is. Um, I, I I don't think I don't think it will alter the 
the appetite for investments. I just as I, as I, as I said when we opened up, I think I mean, Everton is a great deal because um, you know as these as these sports franchises as the Americans have to call them go, you know it has it has the demographics, the history, the prestige. And you're going to get the, the big hit that comes with, with the new stadium when it opens, and how that changes the club's finances. So, if you if you took a five or six year view, which is which is typically what, what a private equity firm would do, you'd say, okay, you know, they've got revenues of two hundred million pounds today, but it's not unrealistic that we'll double those within within uh, six seven years because broadcast rights are constantly going up and. Then, you know, there is this new stadium and everything it brings. And then they'll sell it on a, as, as a profit. And it's a really attractive investment, whether they stay up or, or, or go down. Sports Social Podcast Network.